How things been going, Russ? I did the most responsible thing I've ever done in my life last night. Go on. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be a good idea to finish Final Fantasy VII Remake because I never actually did. So, mm. And I was at like chapter 16. I was so close. There's only 18 chapters. And like at nine o'clock at night, I was like, you know what? I should beat this before we jump into the game of the year episode. I should just finish it and it'll be fine. And like how long are two chapters going to go for? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so I started playing chapter seven, 17, which is the second to last chapter. And an hour and a half goes by and nine boss battles go by. And I fight a robot about 16 times. And then chapter 18 starts and suddenly I'm on a motorcycle and I'm like, you know what? No, (laughs) it's not going to happen. There's no way I'm going to see the end of this game and not totally hate the game at the end of it because we've all been there. We've all had that moment where it's like, okay, I'm just going to beat this tonight. It'll be fine. Yeah. And it just goes and it goes and it goes. So did I make the right choice? I don't want you to spoil Final Fantasy, but how long is that ending? Boy, I remember well, it so vividly. Um, <laughs> let me think. Okay, so chapter 18, you said it starts on the motorcycle? Yeah. So, okay, so uh, I think I can remember this. So Tim Allen and William H. Macy and Martin right. Lawrence and John Travolta, are they all ride their motorcycles. Yep. Um, and they are going on sort of a, a, a sort of coming of age, old age adventure. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Uh, and they get in all kinds of scrapes. And there's love, and then they bump into Ray Liotta, and they mess that up, mm-hmm. and then I get, and at this point I'm realizing I am talking about the movie Wild Hogs, so oh, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to sure, tie it back right. in. And then <gasps> Sephiroth, sh- Sephiroth shows back, Sephiroth is there, and he hurts William H. Macy very bad. No. And then it ends on a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. So part two, That's we gotta exciting. wait for part two. Interesting. Part of that was real, <laughs> but I won't say which part. You gotta play the game to find out. <laughs> Oh, that game was good. Yeah. This should be a cake. I like the game. We'll talk about it. This should be a cake. This, be, <laughs> this is going to be. Well, welcome to the best game of the year. Set, set them up and knock them down. This is an unconventional one. There's no theme song. It's just us. <laughs> oh, wait. Shh, 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 shh. Guys, listen. Over the horizon, I hear it. The theme song. It's coming. My name is Justin Macker, and I know the best game of the week year. Oh yeah, my name is Griffin McRoy, and we're gonna and I know the best game of the year probably. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I know the best game of the year. My name is Ross Farzig, and my wife has a migraine in the other room, and I feel really bad now. <laughs> 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 Welcome to. The- Welcome to the besties, where we talk about the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. It's a game of the year show that goes all year long, and it finally culminates in this, this incredible uh, game of the year spectacular, where we talk about all the games from 2020, a banner year by anybody's metric, and we, uh, we choose the best one. That's it, folks. That's the whole bit. And, uh... What we how are we how are we gonna kick it off, Chris? Well, we've got a bracket. We're gonna go through sixteen games. Twelve of them are uh, picks that we brought, and four of them were decided by our listeners after a thirty-two seed playoff bracket. Very complicated. Uh, hey, thank y'all for participating on us destroying your Twitter feed for about a week. 
Uh, yeah. We appreciate you. Uh, but yeah, I think we're ready. We we have a lot to talk about, so we should probably get right into it. Uh, well, I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's go. Let's no. go. Let's go. No, no, no. Let's jump into an ad because I don't That's know. That's what I meant. I don't. I feel like anything <laughs> not commercialism is wasting time. <laughs> this episode of The Best These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right. So, you know, there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's finally here. All the games. Lay it out for me. Somebody tell me how we're gonna how we're uh, gonna do this. Yeah. I haven't really been paying attention to Slack per se. So for people who don't watch March Madness, the way the bracket works right is like you have the one seed, this is the top game, and it, then the first match is gonna go up against the sixteen seed, which is the bottom game. And these are usually blowouts. Uh, in our case, it is Animal Crossing versus uh the bottom listeners pick Star Wars Squadrons. Um <laughs> which Let's humor for all of, I think we have 15 seconds. Um, Star Wars Squadrons, uh, you know, space, f- flight, X-Wings, no, TIE Fighters. it's a fucking, it, it's a really good game. I, I, I'm not thinking, saying it's not a good game. I'm just saying, you know, like, I'm sure the, the players at Appalachia State are a great group of kids. No, but we're <laughs> not going to bury it. Duke. They get their chance to shine. Let's give it a chance. Rogue Squadron is a very, if you like uh, those that sort of Colony Wars style, free-flying space shooter, it's a very competent one of those. I don't feel like it uh, did a lot to sort of uh, insert itself into the upper echelons of that, but it's very neat and a very cool experience in VR uh, if you can get that. That was going to be my sort of dark horse argument is it's the coolest thing I did in VR this year. The other facet of that is I didn't really do a whole lot of stuff in VR this year, but Fair, that yeah. was the coolest one by a by a country mile. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. It did make me very, very sick. Yes. So that should be considered. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, this has no, no commentary on whether or not Squadrons or any of these games are bad. The reality is we have to get through a bunch these brackets all these Some games are gonna are good. get more love than others yeah. Yeah. and one seed going up against the 16 seed star wars squadrons hey top 16 game that's very that's respectable it's good. good definitely yeah. worth giving it a try you know you can go back and listen to our episode on it uh but i think it's pretty decisive animal crossing is moving on 
in this bracket. And you can play Animal Crossing with a flight yoke, it should be noted. Yes, that's true. Do we want to talk about Animal Crossing, or are we just going to kind no, of hold off to talk, talk about, about it later? later. We'll, we'll have plenty okay. of time to talk about that game. <laughs> okay, yes. We have a, a very interesting uh, matchup. This next round is going to be spicy. I'm excited for this one. So this is a 7 seed versus a 10 seed. Uh, okay. This is Final Fantasy VII Remake versus Paradise Killer. Now, Paradise Killer is interesting because we actually have never done an episode on Paradise Killer. We've mentioned it as part of our honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, and uh, But we've never actually done an episode, and I think it was kind of a late-breaking one. I only played it recently because it was going to be one of our picks for Game of the Year. And I was absolutely blown away by it. I thought it was really just super ambitious and different and funny and well-written and... Um, a really incredible, incredible game. Uh, what's the like thirty second elevator pitch description of this game? It's a it's a murder mystery game uh, with a sort of aesthetic and uh, gosh, if you want to say structural uh, nod to stuff like um, oh, deadly premonition yeah. and and yeah. Uh, Phoenix Wright mechanically. There's definitely that hunt for clues and present evidence and and that kind of thing. Um, and with some tonal nods to like Lynchian type influences, stuff like that, with also a thick coat of neon, vaporwave. Yeah, it's it's vapor. It's vaporwave. It's like very fighters, Mega Mix, Saturn, Sega mm-hmm. Saturn, all the way down to the music. Period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also open world with like a actually genuinely kind of fun world to explore and yeah. uh, look for you know collectibles and shit if that's your jam. But it has a it has a tone and a story that is kind of like vaporwave cosmic horror that I'm like really very 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 into. Uh, yeah. This 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 round is genuinely tough for me. Because it's conf- I, It's really confidently told too. It's a very yeah. bizarre story that is that is very confident in the way it tells it and and trust that you will get uh, the story as you're playing through. The games are ambitious in weirdly different ways too. Like remake tries a lot of stuff that you would not expect like a big studio like Square Enix to take swings like that with what is maybe it's like most beloved story of all Mm -hmm. time. But Paradise Killer is a, you know, a much more indie production that I think tells maybe even a larger story uh, in the context of like this, this murder mystery structure. Yeah. I, I think that like the, the difficulty, you know, when they're rating like gymnastics and they give bonus points for like how difficult the thing is that they're pulling off paradise killer's yeah. story. Um, the, the challenge of like having the like most buck wild, you know, Lynchian's a good description because we're dealing with like a lot of like paranormal metaphysical, like trippy head shit. But having that be like a cogent, interesting, engaging story with good characters is like so hard to pull off. And Twin right. Peaks is like a really good example of that working. And I think Paradise Killer manages that same feat in a really incredible way. I also just like the world aesthetic. It has like a up-resed, like almost, uh, I say I say this, it might sound as like a neg, but it's not meant to be. It almost looks like a Minecraft world. But if it was someone spent like 900 hours designing it and like carefully placing all the little pieces and like making it feel, as Griffin said, like fun to explore and really interesting. I, I also the think Paradise. This, oh, sorry. Go sorry. Ahead. I, I just got one more thing because I don't please, know if Paradise please, please. going to survive this or not. But uh, it it is part of the trend that uh, Hades is also a part of, which everybody in this video game fucks. 
Like, yeah, everybody's house is sexy. sexy, including skeletons that are literally just bones. Um, but <laughs> they, still, they, they still know how to pose, you know, they still know their angles. I would actually like to say this may be a little bit of a surprise, but because I, I played both of these, enjoyed both of them. I thought Final Fantasy VII did some incredibly interesting things that we have never seen before in terms of like a remake. So smart, so cool. Really, really dug it. I personally, though, just would love to elevate Paradise Killer for just like the the, the sort of like nailing it on the first try, the originality, um, the aesthetics. All of it is so cool, and I really loved it, and it really stuck with me. Uh, and I would personally push for uh, Paradise Killer. In so this, just let, to let's sort of talk a little bit that. more about Final Fantasy VII then, because if if it's gonna get bumped, we should we should talk about why it's good. Uh, I I agree um, a, a, largely with that, but I will say what Final Fantasy VII did in terms of a remake, as you were saying, really there isn't a comparison. Um, and you talk about degree of difficulty. Here God of game, War is maybe like the closest, yeah, like ooh, in but, terms but of like revisiting the. It doesn't do the same thing of challenging its own history and narrative. It, it does though, and it, and it never it pretends it. to be a remake. It got a yeah. yeah. sequel. Like Final Fantasy VII, every person brought their expectations of what they wanted that game to be. I mean, there are millions of people who have spent what a decade, two decades thinking about what they want that remake to be. Yeah. And that they, one, made a thing that pleases all the hardcore fans, but two, adds all of this stuff and then becomes, yeah, a, a pretty sharp critique of its own shortcomings um, in a variety of ways and sets up whatever part two is as something that will be wholly different and unexpected. That basically says, like, Okay, you got your fan service. Now we're going to do our own thing from here on out. Yeah. That's wild. I, I, I still can't believe that how this game did not piss everybody off um, because it feels like it was d- destined to. The thing I keep coming back to with Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I, had, I genuinely adored. I thought the combat, like all the things they did to sort of evolve the Kingdom Hearts style uh, turn-based but also like real-time combat stuff was really, really smart and genuinely fun to play. Uh, and the story, like watching them subvert it as somebody who holds that story as like, you know, in a very important story in my formative years, uh, watching them subvert that was really, really cool. But I also feel like it fell into the trap at times. Uh, I, I caught myself a lot going like, well, I just got to fucking pound through this part so i can get to like the next part of the story like the side Mm -hmm. quest stuff i thought were not particularly inspired and i caught myself running up and down the same stretch of ruined highway trying to like find a fucking dog or whatever like (laughs) stuff like that just felt like a waste of time and it is really hard for me to overlook that compared to a game like paradise killer where it's it is a tight little fucking package where you are it it is it does what it does and then it gets the hell out of the way yeah i i I, I think i love that people like when it, when I think back to Final Fantasy VII, which literally I was just playing last night, but when I think back to like all the times I was playing Final Fantasy VII, I think back to the cutscenes and the story and those like epic moments and the like amazing dance sequence and oh god, like so many great great moments. What I don't think back to, but I was reminded last night, is how much of that game is like kind of busy work. Like there's a lot of like, as Griffin said, either side quests or even like. Just a lot of like, here's a very basic maze and you're going to slowly walk through this maze for a very long time and flip switches. And I hope you like that because you're going to do that six or seven more times. 
And that yeah. is just a drag. And I don't think it's enough of a drag to ruin the game. I think it's a spectacular game. I am so, so pumped for part two. I'm honestly pumped to just finish part one, but I'm very close. It, I it love sounds talking like, about video games with you guys, but we have got to move faster. Yeah. Must go faster. So Must it go sounds faster. like Paradise Killer is the winner here with the wow. hope that, hey, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Hopefully we so. see you uh, in, what, 10, 15 years? Um, <laughs> great. Yeah. Can't wait. By that point, Final Fantasy sixteen Remake will, have, Chapter 1 will be out, um, which I'm so stoked for. I can't wait. Uh, up next, we have Hades versus Doom Eternal, which, let, let's see, where does that fit on? That is, that is Hades is a two seed, Doom Eternal, a 15 seed, another listener's pick. Um, I, I feel bad in some way for these listeners' picks because they are going up against really the best of the best. Well, if it, we, if we liked them a lot, they would be on our list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind true. of the, but the nature, um, but they are going to get their due. Yeah, Doom is cool. Like, Doom is good. I don't I, think that for me, Doom uh, was quite as uh, expertly crafted as the first Doom in 2016. It never really clicked for me in the yeah. same fashion. Um, How, let me let me hop on Doom Eternal because I reviewed this game and I, I think I liked hmm. it more than most of the population. Um, Doom Eternal I like more than the original Doom uh, because huh. Doom Eternal to me feels like what I wanted Doom to be all along, just rolling around a heavy metal album cover. Like it mm-hmm. is that is the one goal that they set out to create. And it feels so much like it. the giant, big open environments, the platforming, as controversial as it was, soaring through those spaces, just it ruled, man. Like yeah. the the especially the the focus on the divine. Um, also, another addition that a lot of people didn't like that I loved you having your own planet spaceship thing that you get to decorate with a whole bunch of like hideous doom gear and electric guitars. And uh, and what is it? Funko Pops. Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. I also want to uh, give a nod to the fact that they managed to actually unify the Doom canon in an incredible yeah. kind of way. Like they actually made sense to connect. They connect the original Doom game to this Doom guy and how they all kind of intertwine, which is just like something that I never asked for and never thought anyone could possibly pull off. And they actually do a pretty damn good job. I was like weirdly looking at Wikipedia pages on Doom characters to see how this all tied together. So that was pretty dope. I, I like the game. I think it's a very good uh, popcorn game. Um, you know, I think overall, like I didn't mind the platforming as well. I think uh, as Plant said, the aesthetic I think is very, very strong. Um, and I also think they made a lot of smart changes from the original the 2016 uh, remake to basically get rid of like a lot of the like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm totally lost. Yeah. Like the mazy yeah. stuff that I think that game kind of uh, messed up. So. I, I think one villain ruined this game oh, yeah, for, yeah, sure. for most of the audience. I, I, I that, that one boss that makes it more about um, effectively like punch out style. The shield timing, guy. The shield guy. Yeah, completely is is antithetical to the pleasure of the game of creating a flow, and I I would love to know how many people who do not like this game, really the thing is that they got to that point and they're like, 
throw my hands up. I'm just done. I'm just going to yeah. walk away from it. That and there was, I think they patched it, but there was a moment where you had to go swimming in toxic water um, <laughs> that was like, great, two moments in this otherwise just rip-roaring good time that uh, make you want to punch your monitor. That's it's all it it's out on Switch now. I've been thinking about picking it up on, on that because I never put That's up a lot wild. of time into it. But yeah, I know, right? I can't imagine how it how it could possibly run. Doom, that. Doom. Um, 2016 Doom played actually really well on yeah, Switch. They oh, yeah, they did a good job on the port. But big open environments is the thing that I'm like. Mm, I guess yeah. they'll just look like mud. Um, yeah, mud? That's from the film Mud. Um, anyway, Hades, <laughs> Hades beats Doom Eternal uh, in, uh, in Battle of the Hells. Yeah, it feels like this is another one that we're just going to dive into deeper as it gets a little... Because I think we all knew oh, that yeah. Hades was going to get through this round pretty much. There's going to be a Hades Animal Crossing round, that, and that one's going to be about half of whatever episode it lands on, I imagine. It's, and gonna it's probably going to get nasty. Yeah. Uh, up next, uh, and this is going to be the last one before halftime. This one I think is going to uh, be interesting. Number five, Kentucky Route Zero against number 12, Astros Playroom. <sighs> wow. <sighs> okay. This, wow. Hold on. Is this so, tough? The game yeah, I actually think it's versus a uh, tech demo. Mm. And yet, I do know that Russ Freshick is going to give me grief about how this tech demo is the real bee's knees because the controller, the controller. No, this is. <laughs> I per- Okay, so I reviewed Kentucky Route Zero and I liked it a whole heck of a lot. Um, and I uh, actually reviewed, I reviewed both of these games, as a matter of fact. Um, well, then Russ should just be able to tell us which one's better, and then we move yeah, on to the next easy. round. Here's what I'm going to say about Kentucky Route Zero. It is a narrative game that narratively, over the long term, has not necessarily stuck with me. And that's a that's a sad thing. I think it's it's more of an experience as you're experiencing it and has not... I mean, it's been, whatever, six months since I reviewed it and has not long-term stuck with me narratively i don't know that it has that long-term life to it i think aesthetically amazing i remember specific moments but for a game that is ostensibly like it's a you know an interactive novel game and a very good one um i don't know that the story landed for me enough to uh really have it stand out meanwhile after's playroom granted there is a recency bias here i did play it very recently but i do think was the game and still to this extent like I've played a lot of next gen games at this point because of those enhancements that they've made specifically with the controller but also it's an incredibly well-made platforming game it feels like a an experience that I've never had in a platforming game before like it felt like a truly new experience for me um which is so so rare and and something that I really think elevated it beyond st- stuff that like Nintendo has pulled off yeah. so so that is why I am leaning towards Astro, but I'm I do want to say this in support of Russ. I've worked with Russ for over a decade, and he, I think, honestly has some of the best opinions on video games on the planet. That's right. Unfortunately, nice. this is the worst opinion he's ever. Had. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> it's uh, truly, uh, I mean, embarrassing. Um, it will be probably included in his obituary, as you know that stain in the, in the which really can't be written soon enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we just keep saying it on this show. Um, uh, but it, it, here, here's the deal. Astro's Playroom is a very cool tech demo slash hagiography of uh, the Sony brand. Uh, also, you have to play as a spring and aim yourself to jump. And that's 
for like what? five minutes, Chris. Plant. Oh my gosh! And then, and then the next one, you get to play as a gorilla, and you have to swing your arms. It, the, it, it, the, the the game very very cute. It, does this game stand alone as like a great platformer in history? Yes. No. It's no. not a tech demo. Wow. It should be noted. It's it, not it, a tech it, demo. The, the mechanics are not fun. The, the 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 general jumping is okay. It's very pretty. Kentucky Route Zero that it has not stuck with you. I mean, let's just be real. This is a statement about you, not the game. <laughs> it's the best. No, what I'll say is I I'm not surprised it hasn't stuck with you, but I think that is not because it's a narrative game, but because it's not a plot game. I think mm. like I like Godard films, right? Because I'm an asshole. Yeah. Um I couldn't tell you what happens in any of them, but I can tell you how they made me feel. Hmm. Um, we talked about Lynch earlier. I think like that's kind of a similar thing. I think that what they were going for, it would be shocking if you remembered the plot especially well um, because there isn't a lot of plot. There isn't yeah. a lot of like vibe. Um, Justin, I see you making faces. Like you're trying to process either a big idea or a big poopy. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I think um, okay. So my two arguments, if if we want to get into the weeds on it, one, I thought that Kentucky Route Zero did not stick the landing for me. I really liked everything it had set up to that point. Uh, uh, I think Kentucky Route Zero was hampered in part by, and I feel like this is a fair knock, uh, the way it was released uh, in in that format where th- this game has been coming out for years. And I feel like I just because it's done at this point, like we've discussed it previously on this show and many different iterations. Uh, and I feel like the way this game is released hampered the enjoyment of it. And I feel like this fifth episode of it, for me, like in no way sort of stuck the landing for the in a way that like resonated with me at all. I it even even removed from a narrative that, that would stick with me, which this game was never about narrative. Um, I've spent the last, especially like the part with the f- the f- farm and the, and you know all that different stuff. I spent the end of this game just sort of, sort of wondering how I was supposed to feel or like what it was trying to communicate with me, um, and I, I felt very distant in a way that I really jive with early on, um, and uh, it's better than Astro's Playroom, which is a game for babies. <laughs> so. Uh, that's where I am at. I don't care. Y'all, y'all's condescension towards Astro's Playroom makes me want to defiantly put my vote behind Astro's Playroom. Oh, I was wow. kidding. Astro's Playroom is very good. I really liked it. Yeah. I like playing it with my kids. It's cool to see all the Sony history stuff. The controls are fun. I think it plays well. I think calling it a tech demo is uh, honestly extremely, extremely reductive in a way that like <laughs> calling Kodak Route Zero a visual novel would, would be uh, full of reading for Poindexter's. I would I would say this. I I agree with everything that's been said and I also think that if a perhaps stronger title was up against Kentucky Route Zero, I would lean towards that because I agree with everything Justin said. That style of storytelling that is not plot not even plot centric. Like the plot is not necessarily even an objective I think of the thing. Mm. Uh is is not my jam and then we just I just bolded I, Kentucky Route Zero before we decided Finally. Uh, <laughs> I think we know where this is going. Uh, and I, I agree with Juice. I, I thought the ending of Act 5, the final chapter, was was very affecting. And everything up to that, I was kind of waiting for the 
thing to start. Like mm. I was kind of waiting for yeah. like the 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 tying up of all the loose ends of the f- previous four chapters and the shit that I actually cared about to start, and then it kind of didn't. And then I it, the credits rolled, and I was like, oh okay, yeah. well there's some really really cool moments in there, but. Yeah. And the and also the boss fight was bullshit. The gym should have glowed the entire time because yeah. how are you supposed to find it with uh, the echelon disc? So I, I uh, Fresh could have uh, won this round if he had remembered uh, that Gravity Rush appears in Astro's Playroom. That's oh, got that. Uh, the visual novel beats the tech demo. Um, but don't worry, there'll be more uh, time to litigate visual novels later in this very episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, is it time for halftime juice? Baby, we're there. No one's hearing us talk because they're listening to ads for sheets. <laughs> Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want. Get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. In what is perhaps the most improbable, (laughs) maybe worst game conversation. I'm actually going to write this one. Least productive game conversation (laughs) of 2020. (laughs) We are going to be pitting Microsoft Flight Simulator (laughs) against Among Us. And these two are always, I feel like they're basically spiritual sequels uh, to each other at the same release at the same time. Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, Seed 4 Among Us listeners pick Seed 13. I think that's the top listeners pick. Yeah. Okay, this this may uh, this is the listener's pick that I resonated strongest with. For me, it's not a competition. I fucking spent a lot of time playing Among Us this year, and it's a really fun-ass game, and there is a reason why it is the sort of cultural phenomenon that it is, and I had way more fun playing it than Microsoft Flight Simulator. Wow, so much more fun than I did playing Flight Simulator. It's out of control. The fact that you can download this shit for free on your phone and play it, and it is by far the most competent... Uh, mafia werewolf style game that you can play online other than I, I think that you get into hidden role games are like my favorite genre of games it's what I back in the before times like loved playing shit like coup and, and werewolf uh, with with my pals uh, 
And but but digitizing that is tough. I think the best you ever got was Assassin's Creed uh, asymmetrical multiplayer, where one player mm-hmm. had to like blend in with the crowd. But even that was not like pure in a way that the mafia werewolf hidden role style game works. Uh, Among Us does it like with all of the little things that you don't think about as being like how to make that that asymmetrical format work in a digital environment where you can't necessarily see each other's faces and. Uh, having that instead seen through the lens of gameplay objectives like and and just little things like the vents in the ground like there's just enough data for you to try and manipulate when you are the the imposter that it just it perfectly perfectly does the the hidden role shit like i i think it's a great game i also think it does the smart thing of like you mentioned the assassin's creed multiplayer like no someone who's never played a video game before is never ever ever going to be able to play that but this is designed so approachably and like easy to grok in like three. I could hand my mom my phone and she could play it. Like the that is a very difficult thing to make a great game that is also enjoyable to anyone. And I did actually do what you're describing yeah. around Thanksgiving uh, as a way of just like getting people connected. Uh, uh, me and Sid's family who are having Thanksgiving dinner at our house uh, got on a Zoom call with. Uh, Sydney's sibling Taylor, who's in who's in New York, and we all played Among Us, and it's wild how there were completely varying levels of experience on the game. Mm-hmm. It scales, no matter who's playing it, it still works. It's the bit lands no matter what. My father in law is actively terrible at games and was able to play it off because he's better at lying than he is at video <laughs> games. Like and. It, and 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 I, I it's just so impressive to have a game that's like also by the way the other thing I will say is that hit, I like hidden roll games a lot but as a party game especially when you're playing with like family or people who uh, can take it very seriously it can be a very fraught genre mm-hmm. to play because sure. you're basically accusing people of lying constantly <laughs> with no basis and it can be, get like very grating and stressful what's the it's so smart how people are removed from the conversation if you get killed by the person you are removed if you actually know the truth you're removed yeah. from the conversation and there is basis for all this Everything. stuff where a lot of it it's like people acting sneaky in the real world and this it's like an in-game yeah. um uh, uh, mechanical thing. I wanted to say one last thing is that I also think in, and this is a conversation I think we're going to have about Animal Crossing too, like in this year where I actually didn't have a lot of like great online multiplayer experiences, like I fell off of Destiny and Final Fantasy and the stuff that I usually play for that like social thing. I think it's amazing that there's this free game that everybody's been having a lot of fun playing. We did a stream uh, with uh, some some uh, other like online content creator folks and folks that honestly like I didn't know especially well. And I was I'm on that at, stream, Griffin. Russ was on that stream. <laughs> I was talking specifically about Russ. Uh, and like <laughs> for it was, it felt like I wasn't anxious. I wasn't nervous, which yeah. is like something that uh, I'm getting personal here, but like I'm not great in that particular environment. But having, I honestly think about it like PUBG where it's like, oh, I feel comfortable just kind of shooting the shit because we have this like, you know, social game to, to as, as the kindling. My favorite gaming moment of 2020 was watching Justin's face as I murdered him and then <laughs> watching him not be able to say anything about it was absolutely the best. Really tasty. And I could just And, and then earlier we had a played Among Us. And <laughs> so it really set the tone for the evening. Go for it, plant. Microsoft Flight Simulator is going to lose, so I'm going to give it its its fair due. Um 
<clears throat> if it was a different group of people, Microsoft Flight Simulator could be the number one. Like as a technical achievement, I think it's by as a tech far demo. Maybe <laughs> well, it's not a demo because it's a full game. <laughs> it doesn't come for free, and you don't have to play as the the monkey or the spring. Um, Microsoft Flight Simulator. I mean, there, I I still can't believe that it exists. That only Microsoft can effectively take all the cloud computing, all of Azure, all of the mapping technology that it has, and then also the video game stuff, and create a like believable replica of the entire planet. And that they keep updating it constantly is incredible. That mm-hmm. said. It is the opposite of Among Us in practically every way, and mm-hmm. that to get into it is incredibly difficult. Right now, it's only available on PC, um, especially at launch. It was very hard to get up and going. You needed a pretty beefy computer. Um, so, is that, not, is that not the case anymore? Is it more like runnable it, on shittier it, machines? Not that it. I mean, I don't. I, I can't speak I directly know. to that. I just mean that it like it loads when you want it to. Didn't sure. do that right away uh, yeah. at launch. <laughs> um, but I, it, at the end of the day, it is a flight simulator. It is made for people who want just that thing. And while I don't think that should be a huge knock against it, I think you all are right that like what Among Us did during this year is more valuable, I guess, to the audience. Mm than what Microsoft Flight Simulator did. Do you, but, uh, do you, but again, they, it doesn't make sense as a comparison. They they do, are both the game of the year right. in two different conversations. For sure. Do you guys think if Among Us wasn't it, there was inevitably going to be a game like Among Us that that popped off this year where like we needed... Uh, I mean, Animal Crossing was that for a while. I guess so. Like we were gonna just like we were going to coalesce around some sort of accessible online multiplayer game this oh, year. Oh yeah, and it's, I mean, it's happened before. Trying. But I, I yeah. think Blazeball, which we'll talk about later, I don't think it pops off in the way it did if it wasn't Without, this year. I, I think yeah, people sure. were just so hungry for community this year. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Uh, among, okay. Us? among us, uh, the, the first listeners pick win. Um, I would call that I would call that a, a surprise because I didn't know that I felt so strongly about Among Us until I started talking yeah. about it. Okay, here's uh, uh, next up. Uh, oh boy, number nine seed. This is a very close one. A number nine seed, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, versus a number eight seed, Griftlands. And I'm gonna, now. How did you see, go Can you talk coffee. about your seeding process very quickly? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your? Uh, you, uh, you you want me to? Explain <laughs> how the fuck did you do it, bud? How did I do it? Uh, yeah. How did you? How did you arrive at these seating? Obviously, the listener picks make sense because they weren't on our original list. I think how the did you seating sort of... is good. I think it's been good. No, no, no. I agree with it. I'm just curious because we hadn't discussed it. I'm curious, like what the what the rationale I, was. I, 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 yeah, I, I used a, a variety of things. Uh, how much we talked about the games on our podcast. Um, how Coach's much pulse. people who listen to the show ping us about the games uh and then uh a, a little bit of secret info called i have access to polygon's uh top 50 games of the year so i have a general consensus of how people feel about things he also all right. polled all that, the conference that's not to USA say this, is, this is a mirror coaches. of that because i assure it's you it's a super not it's not <laughs> no. at all um but I, I do have a general idea of you know where i, where I think these things all right fall. here we go ori will the wisp versus grifflands one of the rare i'm walking into I don't actually know. I need to. Okay. Justin's going to pray bit. on this. Why don't I and talk about Ori and then Justin will talk about Grifflands and we'll go from there. 
So Ori the Will of the Wisps. Uh, this is the sequel to Ori in the Blind Forest. Sorry, one more time. Ori in the Will of the Wisps. It's a mouthful. It. Okay. it is. It's a mouthful. There's a lot of W's in there. Um, or uh, So this sequel um, it, to one of my favorite Metroidvanias of all time, an absolutely gorgeous game. And I think Ori um, follows, in a lot of ways, it kind of follows what Doom Eternal, like that same kind of model, where they took the core gameplay that worked really, really well and then kind of went in slightly different directions throughout this game. This becomes more of a... Um, uh, more of an RPG. Um, I think it it borrows a lot of elements from a lot of different games rather than just being like a straight platformer Metroidvania. Um, it continues to be absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Like seriously, play this game if you can on like a really nice TV. Uh, I think it got updated for Xbox Series X if you happen to have that. Um, it is absolutely like just picturesque and also has like a great a score. And also, like, narratively, story-wise, like, there are about four or five cutscenes in this entire game, and every single one of them makes me cry like a fucking baby, like, tears pouring out of my eyes like an anime. Um, And that is really, (laughs) I don't think it's emotionally manipulative. I actually think it's because they are very smart with how they use their limited time to tell the story of this game. Um, I was super, super blown away by it. I thought it was really excellent. And um, I also put it on Switch, which is a pretty yeah. telling experience. Like the fact that this a gorgeous, amazing game that has emotional impact is I'm playing it in my hands. Like that's crazy. So. I wanted to add because you didn't even touch on my favorite part, which is that it has maybe the most fun locomotion of any Metroidvania I've ever played. Yeah. The way that you string together a double jump into you bounce off an enemy projectile and swing off of a lamp and dash through a hole and then do a dive through the water and burrow through sand. Like you do all of this shit in one smooth combo. Mm -hmm. It feels really, really good uh, and is worth the price of admission in my my opinion. Griftlands is a rogue light, I will say. It is designed to be played multiple times to experience the fullness of the story and to make different decisions in it. Um, where you are a grifter or a con person uh, who is trying to make their way in a uh, alien world, I would say. Um, there are uh, currently three different characters that you can play, and each have their own very unique uh, style, but the actual gameplay mechanics for both are split into two different uh, sort of paths. There is combat and negotiation. Um you're building decks for each of those. You have a negotiation deck and a combat deck, and you are, like a lot of deck-building games, you're building a, a, a deck that uses energy for each card that activates different abilities or different defenses against your enemies, whatever. Uh, and uh, each one of those is very different for each of the characters. For instance, the newest character, Smith, that was just released, uh, in combat, they drink a lot. And the different drinks have different bonuses that it apply, but also leaves them with an empty bottle in their uh, deck. And that empty bottle can be uh, shattered to draw a new card. You can get a, uh, a weapon that shoots empty bottles. You can hit someone with, if you get six empty bottles, you have attacks that do more because you're smashing uh, empty bottles over their head. And also, and, and so that's the combat, and each one is different. There's a character who has like two pistols that have varying levels of charge, and rather whether or not they're 
charged up or not charged up, you do different amounts of damage. And it's really about building. Let me just, I just want to ask you like specifically, because I, I, as someone who's played it, like it's, it's a tough game to jump into. Um, I think it's, it can be a little overwhelming. I want to ask you specifically, like what about this game sets it's like you play a ton of deck building games i know so like what is it about this game that makes this one special one thing that okay so the cool cool stuff about griftlands is uh one the other half of the mechanics is a negotiation which i've never seen done particularly well or particularly gamified where it's like an argument and you're playing different cards that can build up an argument or tear your enemy's arguments down um and that is a very cool way of making concrete something that is very ephemeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the real thing that I really dig about it is the story of the game in each of them uh, is, is so different uh, depend- on each play that I have, you know, I it's, it's never really that dull because you can make different decisions every time. And the decisions that you ha- make have real lasting imp- uh, effects on the, the world. I mean, you can make characters hate you um, and then you can and you get gameplay bonuses or deficits from that. If you can kill a character to get rid of those uh, curses or, or deficits, uh, but then another character will hate you probably because they like that that first person. You can make people like you and they'll help you out in combat maybe, or make people love you and they'll give you bonuses. Um, and it's really about uh, making mechanical a lot of narrative stuff that other games sort of make make more ephemeral. And because that narrative is so mechanical it really makes it uh, weightier. It makes these decisions more than just like, I'll see what the story does this time. There's a real impetus uh, if you want to get to the end. And it's not super easy. um, A real impetus for for, uh, caring about that narrative. So this was my impression. I'm I'm curious other people as well. Um, You know, I've played a lot of uh, card games as well, like these sorts of deck building games. And the ones that I get into, and we'll talk about another one a little later, um, the ones that I get into are ones where I feel like I understand everything that the game is throwing at me. I'm not good at it. Like I'm not making the best choices when I'm picking cards right. and stuff like that. That's fine. But I understand why, generally speaking, why things are happening and like what what resources mean what, etc. I feel like Grifflands does not do a great job of welcoming new people to its systems to the point where like the second that like it's showing you a video of how the systems work is like not a great sign for mm. them doing that. Whereas a game, again, we'll talk about it, but Monster Train, I think is like the perfect example of like how to introduce mechanics. Hearthstone does this amazingly well. Even Slay yeah. the Spire, I think is more welcoming because it starts off very narrow and then widens. Um, whereas mm. Grifflands, I think throws really a lot throws at you. you it does a lot at you yeah. all at once. Chris, Griff, what did you guys think? Briefly, I think mechanically it's interesting. I think the best thing that Grifflands does is, like you said, like it it connects every aspect of the world and gameplay in a way that I've like never really seen in a game before. This like really intricate web of this decision you make here will affect something you know an hour down the line in like a really important way and it's also different from the sort of uh you know telltale game style of like they will remember that like it is more subtle and realistic i think than that for me um i think i just couldn't really groove with the narrative roguelite 
genre just as a concept like i had i was going through the story and like i loved the characters and have like got really far and then my character died and then unlike slay the spire where it's like oh okay i just lost the deck i'll start over and this one it's like i just had that story going and then the story you know just stops just kind of stops and it's you know that's fine maybe it feels even better when you do finally get through the story but i really had a roadblock where i did not feel especially inspired to start over which is like that's what the roguelite genre is all about. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fair. You know, honestly, I love both. Plant, do you have anything? Did you, no, no, I don't know if you. No, no, no. Um, I, I mean, some, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're both great. Sometimes games don't click with you, and it just happens to be that neither of these games click with me. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to, uh, you know what? I appreciate getting it onto this list, but I will be honest. I have, <laughs> I think there's enough love for Ori on this that I'm not going to put up a fight, and I really, I love Ori a lot, so I feel, I feel great about that. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, this is I'm going to be, be the plant in this next round. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, <clears throat> that means the not, next round not is curious. number three seed Spelunky Two versus number fourteen seed Blaze Ball. I will say this: the Blaze Ball community. Hello, welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you. Uh, <laughs> you know, love those games that you mints. Um, passionate, passionate passionate group of people um some of the uh most passionate uh people who voted in our poll um and outright uh slaughtered any game they got in their way uh if you enjoyed ghost of tsushima i apologize <laughs> now um because boy did they let their feelings be known um i like both these games a lot I really, really enjoy Blazeball. I think I was the one who brought it to the podcast. Um, before I get into it, though, does anybody have any feelings about Blazeball, or, or should I carry it? No, you torch? can go ahead. Please <clears throat> please go for it. So I think uh, kind of like what Griffin said uh, about Among Us, that you know there was a need for a game like this. And I think Blazeball connected with a bunch of people, especially people in the arts community, who needed something to rally around collectively. Um, I think it connected with people across the entire country who were looking for effectively like zine culture, right? Um, For people who don't know what Blazeball is, I realize I should give that really quickly. Uh, Blazeball is an entirely numbers and text-based game uh, in which you bet on these fictional baseball teams. Those uh, games are simulated, and then you see the results. That is like the most boring version of it. Um, but it's obviously much wilder than that. The community can adjust the rules via a voting process. Um, truly bizarre things can happen to your players or the officials, like they get incinerated, or they drink demonic blood god um, and become uh, strangely powerful. The actual rules of baseball itself can be modified. It is all very cheeky and fun. And the best thing about it is all of these fan communities uh, kind of formed around each team. So you would have fan art just for one specific baseball team, right? You would have uh, indie garage bands that made uh, baseball uh eps uh it, it mean it got really intense and it still is really intense as i mentioned um it's fans i think they feel an ownership of the game in which i don't think fans of any game on this list feel in in quite the same way because like literally 
they they do own the game. Like the game, the visuals of the game, the sounds of the game, the feeling of the game doesn't exist without them. Because effectively, what uh, was so brilliant about Blazeball in its design is by not having any of that, it allowed the fan base to create all of it. Um, it's it's really 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 fantastic. That said. <laughs> And I'm, I, I'm sure they're not going to be happy about this, Blazeball fans. Blazeball, to me, feels like the rough draft of something truly excellent. And that is, like, whatever this team does next. Um, I think Blazeball is great. I, as somebody who cared deeply about it, found it nearly impossible to follow um, without, like, making it a part-time job. Uh, you, you have to really, 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 really invest yourself in the community to but that's like that's part of it that's part of it right like sure it, of, it, it of, is yeah, but of course it's a but, fair criticism like i this is way up my i'm somebody who like i love sort of and i know this isn't this but like the sort of arg vibe of like there's this whole narrative behind the game and uh all this stuff is happening and like i made a decent effort it doesn't help that like i don't I, I don't care about sports at all. Uh, so just the idea of betting on anything and, and caring about the outcome is not is a little foreign to me. But aside from that, like, I don't... I tried. Like, if you go to blazeball.com right now, it is not clear at all how one begins <laughs> or is, if, if even one can uh, pl- play this game called Blazeball. Like, I wanted to be part of it, and it was hard because it left me feeling like, oh man, I, I really am on the outside of this and I wish there was a way to be yeah. on the inside of it that didn't require me. To be in know, a Discord to, to... community and all these right, things. Right, yeah, it seems really cool and, and I'd love to be involved, but like it's not, and, I just don't yeah, have the And bandwidth. again, as an act of art, I, that's the thing that I ask the listeners to think about with all of this. You could create a type of bracket in which any of these games are number one. Like if it was about right. technical stuff, it would be micro, Microsoft Flight Simulator. If we were talking about like, art you know like what is the artistic value um i think things like krz and Blazeball would have a higher spot on it but I, that is just by nature of what we do with this show which is we are recommending look a at game it through all like for, for for everybody what, 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 sure. but what do we want to give everybody and i more I, more yeah more, more than any other game on this list though i will say it is the most fun game i'm not playing this year yes. like it is the most fun we get uh on on wonderful the the podcast i do we get emails all the time of people talking about blazeball and all they do is they talk about like some wild shit that happened this week on blazeball and i see that and i'm like that's fucking great man and even though i'm not playing it like i see that stuff and i'm super super glad there is a corner of the internet that i'm not a part of where like all of this fantastical stuff is is taking yeah. place in this like entirely like crowdsourced way i think it's i think it's it's amazing. 2020s eve online <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah that's fucking very accurate can we uh, and there's spelunky too which will win this and congratulations we'll yeah uh well I, I we have got to move uh to the final a little round. bit quicker yes yeah um, okay, here's the bloodbath. So it's Monster Train versus uh, 13 Sentinels. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'll talk Monster well, Train. Well, you that's... just talked about a Griff, uh, about Grifflands, which is another card game. So let me take a shot at it. And you yeah, please. In. I'd love that. So Monster Train is another deck building game. Um, the difference here, uh, you know, is basically you're summoning um, these monsters. You control a bunch of monsters and they're in this train. And you're summoning monsters to basically defend the train against 
invading heroes, I guess. They're like, you know, meant to be like counter your monsters. And it uses uh, similar mechanics to like uh, Hearthstone, stuff like that, where, uh, you know, the monsters you summon have health and they have um, attack ratings and various other abilities. The variants here, unlike a game like Hearthstone where it's just like cards on a board, you are literally placing these monsters in uh, various places in the train itself and deciding, okay, I'm gonna put this monster at the front of the line to act as a defender for the rest of the monsters on this floor of the train. Um, and so there's a lot of tactics in terms of placement and strategy in terms of like, okay, how am I gonna like arrange my monsters on each uh, level? You know, I, I mentioned this in Grifflands, but I think Monster Train is incredibly, incredibly good at uh, easing you into these mechanics th that are different. They're very different from like a lot of other deck building games, but but it's it's super approachable and digestible. And I think uh, more digestible than even like Slay the Spire. It's pretty welcoming insofar as like there's, I think, a lot of room to screw up early on in Monster Train. Yeah. Um, and you can feel like, okay, I'm making progress and I see how I can succeed. You'll get stomped later on, but that's fine. Um, you know, I found it immediately charming and like uh, really like I felt like I was uh, really accomplishing something when like a strategy that I, you know, planned ahead for played out exactly how I wanted and I, yeah. you know, crushed a guy. So I, th I think it's terrific. So uh, shoot me straight. The does 13 Sentinels even have a chance of getting through this? How hard should no, I man. go here? I would say give it a beautiful eulogy. <laughs> I, farewell, to a, farewell to a friend. Can I say, because I tried to put a little bit more time into 13 Sentinels, the realization I had, and I think that might just be because I have been playing some old visual novel stuff on the Vita lately. If it had just been that, like if it didn't have the uh, uh, strategy element of it and instead just told this like wild sort of time jumping uh, open-ended story I would have been I think more into it that's but I, I just really didn't like the strategy parts of it okay go for so, it here, here we go 13 Sentinels is the best game of the year and you're <laughs> watching it get robbed in real time by a bunch of just fucking buffoons um, but that's okay we love them I mean all of us make mistakes so I'm going to tell you a little bit about why you should give this game a chance. Um, 13 Sentinels is a video game about video games, but also about like movies and fiction and how kind of dangerous they can be and how they can be really appealing as escapes, but they've become these little bubbles where we get a little too comfortable and uh, we don't really pay attention to all the shit that's going on outside of our life. And here is where I'm going to spoil 13 Sentinels. Like, I'm going to spoil the whole game. So, if you don't want to hear it, click ahead for like three minutes, okay? I, Justin is taking off his headset as wow, if he's Justin. ever going to play this game. <laughs> Truly ridiculous. Um, so, 13 Sentinels is a sci-fi game uh, set across multiple timelines, right? Uh, the past, like, the basically World War II, 1985, and uh, in a little bit in the future. Uh, Justin, I'm, I'm still spoiling it. Um, and uh, you're trying to figure out why do these different timelines come together? Why do they overlap? And why do they need to fight these like alien kaiju things in the future, right? Uh, twist. That's not what the game is about at all. Uh, the world is already over. The apocalypse already happened. You are on one giant flat spacecraft um and all of these uh supposed timelines are just 
four recreations that exist side by side by side with one another. Um, and it's all happening effectively at the same time. And uh, the people in, who lived in the world and who lost the world created more or less a simulation to try to revive society. And the kaiju that you are fighting are not kaiju. They are bad code uh, from a video game that literally just was used to like cut a corner, like using GitHub um, to program things. Um, so the whole thrust of the game is not about the, you know, how do we fight off the apocalypse? In the end, it is the apocalypse already happened. How do we find a way to keep going? Like, how do you get by? And like these stories, the game is filled with all of these cliche stories. Like, you know, there's ripping off ET and ripping off the matrix. And the point is these stories are intentionally there. They're there because these are the stories that the people who designed this remember from their past and think that these are like important stories and will help these people develop. And the whole arc of the game is you can get sucked into these stories. You can get distracted by them. You can make this your like reason to exist, or you can realize like, Hey, these are here to teach us. But at a certain point we got to like put these stories behind us and go and actually do the work. And it rules that that is incredible that, that, that a video game did that is amazing. And that's why the RTS stuff is so important because the RTS is a video game. It is why it looks like a video game. Um, it, it has a purpose, uh, and it is fun. I recommend putting on the easiest setting. So anyway, I know the game's not going to go further. I think it should, but I understand. Can I, it's, can it's I just a ask one question? Do, yes. So I, I didn't play a ton. I played, like, the first couple hours. Do they justify the, like, kind of iffy sexualization high schoolers thing? E, Pretty e, iffy, e, I would say. E, you know what? It's iffy. It's. it's I mean, it's, the, it's, the, the sexualized high schooler stuff, I mean welcome to vanillaware games i i don't i don't sure. think it, it, it certainly doesn't get worse i would also say there's some stuff with there's a non-binary character that mm. i was really worried about in the beginning of the game that ends up being like one of my favorite romances in the game um that's great uh sure. so if there's like stuff that you're a little suspect of at the beginning um i would say don't worry so much they, for the most part that doesn't stick every landing there's one character who for whatever reason always stands in a way that you can see both her chest yeah that's when my wife tush. walked in the yeah, yeah my it's, wife it's, walked it, in the not and she's like what are you um, playing and i was playing you saying tush plants? is more offensive than anything in the game yeah. uh well, um, here, here one other thing for for people who are listening to this and want to hear more um our pals at into the ether uh that podcast they did a full like three hour episode on this game it is probably the only substantial thing of criticism i've found on this game so if you are playing it and you're looking for more i really recommend you go and check that podcast out uh yeah but monster train though monster train. is that is that do we still feel good i'm i'm i am willing to be swayed by plants impassioned defense he cares much more about this than i care about monster train no i uh, it's monster train but it's monster train okay <laughs> so this is normally when we would do reader mail or honorable mentions but y'all twist this is just part one of the game of the year oh episodes gosh. so we're gonna do those things at the end of next week's episode which means it's time to say goodbye oh well goodbye <laughs> thanks for listening to our podcast be sure to follow and listen for free on spotify uh with we're so thankful to spotify for making this show a possibility you can share the link to this show it's besties.fan you can email us about your favorite games of the year mail at besties.fan 
Oh, we got a, uh, the besties pod is our Twitter handle. There's a link to our mailing uh, list there. Uh, but that is going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, be sure to join us again next week for the besties. Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Besties!